Hey everybody, and welcome to Game Scoop episode 542. I'm here with Tina, who's oh, very far away in Germany, and uh, Justin, Scoop, and Matt. Welcome, Matt. Hi, hello. Matt is a reporter at IGN, so he is here with actual scoops for Game Scoop. Uh, this yeah. week, <laughs> hopefully, yeah, can you right. pretend? Can you put your finger up to your ear? I'm just getting this in, guys. <laughs> Breaking. <laughs> Uh, so uh, this week on Game Scoop, we're going to hear from uh, uh, Tina, who's actually played Marvel's Avengers, which is really cool. We haven't actually played that game yet as a, anybody on staff until now. We're going to talk about the cool things that came out of Gamescom. We're going to answer your questions about Gamescom. We're going to talk about what happens when uh, GameStop and uh, Toys R Us and all the brick-and-mortar stores go away. Uh, but first, uh, actually, I don't have a but first because I'm not good at this. Uh, first, we're just going to talk about Avengies. <laughs> <laughs> so Tina, uh, you played Avengers and you uh, wrote a little, or uh, Lucy wrote about it and you guys did a conversation about it, which you can go to IGN and check out. But uh, what's the take? Yeah. What did you play? So it's the footage that people have seen because it leaked at Comic-Con and then it was formally presented here at Gamescom. Um, so people saw what I played. It's here on San Francisco Bridge as it's being destroyed, sadly, our home city. Um, and you play through each of the Avengers characters. So you get a kind of like, sampling for how everybody feels um black widow being on my low bar and thor being on my high bar mm -hmm. as far as who i would want to play as but it's super super basic like it's a i can't stress enough that it's a tutorial demo so you're not really getting the sense for what the game is because they gave us a presentation afterwards and holy hell does that game seem completely unlike what that tutorial is but i can still speak to like the characters and how they played yeah so like if you can if you played as thor and you like thor what is Thor going to play like in the actual game? Like, can you even tell? Yeah, like, you know, the so the God of the combat designer from God of War is working on this game. I didn't know that. And the whole like the feeling of the Leviathan axe where you throw it and you catch it, mm -hmm. it's completely replicated with the with Thor's hammer. So you can, you know, throw it at people, you, you aim, you throw it at them, and then you can uh, retrieve it back and it can hit people along the process as it's coming back to you. So that feels really gratifying. Um, but I mean, it's just like, you have these kind of spongy enemies, which is a little weird. Cause I'm like, I'm Thor. I should be able to blast through you all just by looking you can't at you. kill anybody. So, well, I don't know. Incapacitating them, like whatever you want to call it. They're like it flying easy. off a bridge. There's no way they're not dying. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, seriously. One of them gets like hit with a <laughs> yeah, car. Totally. Like Hulk throws a car at one of them. Is like, Iron Man catching sure. them all under the bridge? That's what it is, like, that's behind what, the scenes. Yeah. That's what it is, um, yeah. That was the same in all the Batman games always, right? Like, he doesn't kill, but yeah. he did break both their legs and tie them up in a building in the middle of winter. <laughs> oh, there's, and there's no cops in the city. It's like, he dead. Arkham Knight was, like, <laughs> way <laughs> worse because he, like, ran people over with the Batmobile, yeah. but then they added this little, like, spark to, to, like, imply that, oh, no, they just got stunned, even though you just, like, rammed into someone. That, like, Wasn't there a rocket launcher on the Batmobile in one it of the was, games? Like, you know, it's stunned. Yeah. It's stunned. It's fine. Don't worry. It's shot teddy bears. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> when, you, when you got, like, kind of the rundown of Avengers, what I was really curious about is what is single player? Like, does it seem like it is, like, kind of, like, attached like it was in Anthem and not very fun? Or does it feel like it's, like, they do have a good single player game? Well, who knows? Because I haven't played a lick of it, but they showed us this big overworld map. And on there, you can see your hero missions, which are single player. And then you can see your war zone missions, which are multiplayer. And it looks just like Destiny because it has this like mission card with the details of what your objective is, what the rewards are, which oftentimes is like some kind of gear, also very Destiny-like, and then like a difficulty setting. And then obviously like the range of difficulty that you pick impacts what your reward is. So your gear will be better. If you put it on some kind of heroic difficulty, you'll probably get heroic gear or whatever else. And they tease, like, there's so much to go into. Like, they tease that there's there's going to be gear levels 
like surprise gear levels above heroic, legendary, epic, all of those. Like they've come up with their own, I guess. Um, mm. But the single player missions are character by character and it's sort of an evolution of, well, it does two things. One, it the gameplay and the level design centers around what that character is. So obviously for Iron Man, you need a little bit more depth for him to fly around, uh, similar to Thor. For Hulk, you probably want to be like, you know, in these closed quarters where you can smash people around. Um, but they also go into their backstories. So it's a little bit of character development. Um, and I get the sense that it's pretty balanced, just a total assumption. I'm guessing that the hero missions are going to be pretty balanced with Warzone missions. So it's not like the game will be overwhelmingly a single player experience or overwhelmingly a multiplayer experience. I think it feels like they're striking for a sort of mid-level, a uh, mid-level range of having both um, with as much frequency as one another. And then they're going to add to it too. Do you think? Do you think that uh, this game is going to be like secretly just like a, a, a multiplayer game? But you know, if you play it a single player, they're, they're just not really going to. I don't know. It just feels like that. Uh, everything you're describing just still feels like it's meant for multiplayer, and that's not what I want to play in a single player game. Well, I also, a little bit, yeah. And it's funny. Like I kept reading comments where people didn't. They were like, "Oh, you mentioned Destiny. Like that seems like a um, like a detraction for as far as their interest goes." So. I don't know. I think it would be cool to like assemble with your Avengers friends. Why wouldn't you want it to be multiplayer? Yeah. And then can they all be Thor? No. So that's the thing. They didn't outright say it, but they basically like hint, hint, nod, nodded and said like, no, there can't be four Thors <laughs> running around just because they're wearing different outfits. So three confirmed. But it's weird because it's four player. Yeah, right. right. The, but uh, it, yeah, it's four player, but there's five Avengers. So. Mm -hmm. The uh, the gear thing trips me up too because why is like why does Thor need to get stronger by putting on like a different pair of boots? Yeah. <laughs> well, it might be like it might be different vulnerability things. Like there will be perks and bonuses and st like stat bonuses that might be I don't know like invulnerability against certain elements. Sure. That's it, just an assumption. I haven't matches. seen any of the gear. I mean, I'm just I'm just teasing the game a little bit. Like, but it, yeah. you know, it matches thematically a character like Iron Man so much more than someone that's super powered. Right. Like, what does it yeah, matter totally. what they're wearing? But I understand that. And like, they actually mentioned, like, for <laughs> Iron Man, they actually mentioned that he, um, like, there's a Tony Stark, the Stark Industries line of gear, mm -hmm. and if you get like if you gather all the Stark Industries stuff, it gets like extra bonuses and extra stats. Why? Like, why can't he just get it for free? He owns the company. <laughs> well, so uh, the whole point, like the whole narrative is that this corporation comes in aim, which is like part of the Marvel universe. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, they out, not them, but like out uh, superheroes are outlawed. And so they kind of take over as protectors of the world. Um, and so like Tony Stark loses his fortune um, and his fame. Uh, uh, Thor gets depressed too. Um, Black Widow goes back to her like lone, uh, lone wolf spy routine. Uh, just everyone's like scattered to the winds. And that's why you have to like uh, assemble the Avengers again. So there's a lot of movie themes like Endgame, Infinity War, a little bit of Thor Ragnarok in there because Hulk can't turn away from Hulk. He can't turn back into Bruce Banner. So everyone's just like really depressed. They're all outlawed. Everyone hates them. And AIM is probably super villainous. Oh yeah. They're evil as heck. Mm. Yeah. All right. Anything else we need to know about Avengers for now? Um, Iron Man was hard to play as it was just weird because I was focusing on flying and yeah, yeah. yeah so mm. I was flying but aiming and like other like mech suit whatever aim villains or whoever it was were also flying and and I was trying to keep up with the aim so that was weird um I didn't really like Black Widow because it's just like Bayonetta but less 
Um, and then um, who am I missing? Hulk was fun. Hulk is silly. Mm. Like smashing things feels fun. Um, is that everyone? Yeah. Did I hit all five? I think yeah. so. And then like uh, clearly the DLC characters are going to be like archetypes of those because they can't be too far off from them because they have to fill those roles, right? So <clears throat> kind of gives a clue of what, what we should expect. Or fill the design space. Did You'd be surprised. I mean, they, they keep talking about like, yeah, you'd be surprised. Like they keep talking about how they they've basically built multiple games into one because mechanically oh. all the characters work really differently. So who knows? They keep like talking about all this post-launch content that they're going to be releasing with new heroes who will come with new hero missions. So there'll be like new campaigns unto itself. Mm-hmm. So it might be super robust. Might just be. It, it a little bit sounds like Destiny Light to me. Mm. So uh, we went on the. GameScoop Facebook fan page, which is a great, cool place you should hang out on. Uh, and we uh, asked, uh, Tina asked for people to give her questions about Gamescom and like things at Gamescom and stuff like that. So we're going to, we're going to go through some of those. And that is because we do not have access to the GameScoop inbox. We thought we would. Tina was actually going to be our guest host and was going to take your emails that you can send to uh, gamescoop at IGN.com. We will not see those right now. Keep on sending them. We just won't read them. (laughs) (laughs) But instead, we went to the group, and they they really came through. So we really thank you for that. And uh, the first one is from uh, Sam Claiborne in uh, San Francisco. He asked, did you share any snacks with Hideo Kojima? No, he's actually staying in our hotel. So a bunch of us have had Uh, many sightings. Really? Um, Cool. Yeah, he's just like when Casey was checking in, he was just, she was standing behind him in line because he was checking in first, like before her. It's really cool. Are are we just going to gloss over the fact that there's a Sam Claiborne in San Francisco (laughs) that watches GameScoop? Well, and it's really nice of him to be on that Facebook page. I don't know if you guys know that, but the Sam Claiborne that's on that Facebook page who was invited is not me. Mm, I'm just joking. Mm -hmm. I don't want to throw people (laughs) off that bad. Sounds suspicious. It me. <laughs> uh, yeah, so yeah. no no personal no Kojima, stories, Kojima stories yourself. I, I walked by him at some point. He was with nice. his coffee. There it is. Good yeah. work, Tina. <laughs> yeah. Scoop. Kojima sighting in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely job. All right, what do you got for us? Yeah. Are you going to read off some of these questions? Yeah, so a lot of people had, um, like, a... I read from like Phil and Chandler, James, Kelly, thank you so much for contributing. Um, they were asking about like, okay, what is Gamescom? Um, is it going to be the next E3? Which like someone replied and said it's a uh, European E3, which is basically that. But actually I would say that it's, mm. um, it's E3 times 10 yeah. plus a times 100 packs because there's like a huge community element too. So packs is very much the kind of show that you go for to like, you know, hang out with people, play board games, like play the newest games and go to concerts afterwards and just really bond with people. It's less of a trade showy industry kind of an event, especially in recent years. Mm. Um, So it's got like Gamescom has all of those elements. Like there are multiple halls. I don't even know how many halls are there, like 10. Well, if you add a hundred times the people at PAX, where do they actually stand and sit to actually do these interactions? Because it seems like it's too crowded. (laughs) Everywhere. Yeah. They hang around the IGN booth because it's nice and uh, empty because we haven't been broadcasting anything. But um, from our live show, we just started that today because there's a massive like esports booth right next to ours. So every every so often you hear like lots of chanting and screaming and Mm -hmm. it's been a hectic work environment. But aside from that, so there are many halls. They're all big. They all feel like convention centers unto themselves. Like this thing is huge. Just to even like you really have to know. So we're we're in the north hall, like the north entrance. 
So you really have to know, like, let me go through the north entrance because it could easily take you 30 minutes just to walk to another uh, entrance-sided hall area. I mean, like, that's how big it is and how crazy it is. For a sense of scale, like, E3 is, I think, you know, 65, 75,000 attendees. I think 10 or 15,000 of those are the public and the rest are, Mm -hmm. you know, industry. And then Gamescom is hundreds and hundreds of thousands. So it's it's like it's almost unfathomable to me. That's why I always skip Gamecom, Gamescom. Like, I saw you a video. That show? I'm like, no. I saw a video on Twitter of um, I think someone was taking a photo of like the line to get into Gamescom, and it was just like this mass of people in this like fenced in sort of like lane kind of thing, like a almost like a herd herding of cows kind of situation. That sounds intense. Like, I don't know if I can... The, like, crowd, the crowd shots are uh, are just really spooky. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I can handle that. I agree. Yeah, there's some of the most famous, uh, the Gamescom crowds in particular, because there's always, like, the big opening of the doors and rush of the human beings into one um, doorway, which seems super unsafe mm-hmm. uh, and uncomfortable. But Gamescom is, like, definitely known. Um, it's, it's down in infamy amongst all the other conventions. Um, but as some of our readers are, we're asking and our, our listeners and our viewers were asking um, about like, what about packs? Uh, someone mentioned that, why don't we participate? We actually do participate. So Matt is actually going uh, to packs this year as is Jonathan. Um, but we normally have like a very specific kind of presence at packs because again, it's more of a community-based convention. So we try to have a panel every packs. Um, this year we're actually uh, in conjunction with CD Projekt Red um, or CD Projekt Red, as Whoa. they say, uh, is that's how you're supposed you to, to pronounce Europe it. Once. That's, you found that out, right? Yeah. <laughs> so true. Yeah. Well, we were hanging out with them one night, and we asked them, like, how do you actually pronounce your company's name, and also their names, and and Cyberpunk. I don't remember how to say 2077 in Polish, so I will skip right over that one. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, they were hosting a party in conjunction with them, and it's. It's um, very like cosplay driven. Mm-hmm. So Matt and Jonathan are going to be the cosplay judges. Sydney is hosting. You're going to judge cosplay, cosplay competition. Judge cyberpunk cosplay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Super cool, right? So that we do cool. have a presence at PAX. It's just it doesn't seem as much, I guess, because it's at PAX and it's not always on our site. But we will have a nice roundup of the cosplayers after the fact, hopefully. So yeah. nice. There's that. I'm yeah. already building my criteria then- for cyberpunk cosplay. Like what? The more neon, the better. Spikes. Right? Spikes. The yeah. bigger the coat. I want, I'm want. i really looking for big coats, actually. Big coats. Yeah, yeah. you need, like, sharp edges. Mm-hmm. You, you People need to, like, uh, shave patterns into the side of their head. Yeah, although if you don't want to, like, mess with your hair, I, like, I get that, you know? Well, well then you get, I think, you know, there's but also, some movie magic you can do where you, like, pull that, like, skin cap over and then yeah. there's a fake hair. But points for commitment, you know? Yeah. Like, also, I mean, exactly. you don't have to mess with your hair unless you want to win. Right. So, uh, <laughs> that's really... <laughs> All right, what else have we got about Gamescom? I know we have some Death Stranding stuff, too, to talk about. Um, well, uh, Jonathan, not our Jonathan, but our, our Game Scoop, Game Scoop uh, fan, Jonathan, uh, on the Facebook page mentioned, I'm curious to know how attending a major gaming conference has changed your perspective on the gaming industry. And I thought that was something interesting for all of us to answer. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. I, I think in my experience, it's made it... Uh, it, it I've only seen that the industry conferences are like so like E3, you didn't have public before and that was always fun to cover, but it was fun to cover because you felt like you're an insider and stuff like that. And so I feel like it's a really good thing that there's these like public ones that are kind of taking over now that everybody can kind of experience that. And I want everybody to to have that feeling. But those for me are also like, I get agoraphobic and I don't like being around that many people and stuff. So like, I definitely like the private ones, but it's for a selfish reason. I'm happy everybody has these public ones. Mm. 
Yeah, I always like meeting Game Scoop fans. Like this is a very popular right. podcast. The, the you know a lot of people listen to it and watch it, but it's not so big that like you know people are stopping me on the streets of San Francisco. And so you know it's a level of like I'm anonymous. You know, 360 days of the year, and then five days a year, a lot of people at E3 and any other industry events are like, we love Game Scoop so much. You, you know, the show is so great. I listen to it every week, and so that's always a nice fun. You know, it, it's one it thing. Does to change s- your perspective on like what we do and and the reach when you actually hear that yeah, in person? For sure. Like it, it's you know we see the stats and we know that a lot of people listen to the show, but um, putting faces to the to the names or just to, to the numbers is um, a very good feeling. I look forward to meeting them next E three. You know, because now I'm on the show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, no, <laughs> I, uh, I like them too. Um, yeah, I think on lead up to like E three and stuff like that. I always get, you know, nervous because it, it's work, you know, it's always work for us and stuff like that. But that energy is infectious once you're there and the people are there and everybody's excited, like you catch that. And so you're also excited, too. And you kind of you also forget that it's work and then you have to rush to your next appointment. And then it's like a big roller coaster where you're like, oh, it's work. It's not work. And then things happen. So Or the, 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 the my, my perspective on the industry, like this is the biggest thing where you see <clears throat> that I get a little bit cynical about where you see these big displays of like video games and and like they're kind of like they build a little disneyland and unfortunately there's like models that represent these games and mm-hmm. these events and there, there's all kinds of like kind of big publicity things that are happening that i don't need yeah and like i i, pref- I just you know, this is why i work here i prefer reading and watching and, and and hearing that's filtered and that direct marketing is like really a lot for me and it kind of makes me you know feel bad about yeah. uh, games more than good I actually agree with that. Like, you have to jump through so many hoops to play a video game. Yeah. And that's all we really want or, or need, even. You know, that's what I want personally as a fan, and that's what I need professionally for my job. And um, <laughs> they, they don't make it very easy to do that at, you know, most of the trade shows that I attend. Yep. What do you think, Tina? But I think for fans, like, for fans, I think they're, I mean, they seem to be fine, like, waiting in the long lines and playing these limited demos. And I think there's a difference between downloading, like, a beta being found for people who are excited for the same game that you're excited about it's not like the internet where if you're online and you're talking you're waiting to go see borderlands 3 and you're talking to somebody about it like there's just a different kind of conversation that comes out of being in person in that way um and you get to meet the developers like that's a big thing for me i think like inherently being at conventions because the question is like how did it change your perspective on the game industry like it inherently does because you get to talk to the people that work on these things from every aspect like I'll run into people who work on the marketing side um, from from those people to people who actually work on the game, like narrative designers versus level designers versus like texture artists. And you get to see all these different aspects and really learn from them while you're either interviewing them formally or just informally chatting. Uh, But then there is the other side to it. Uh, Like Sam, you were saying, like there's this glitz and glam around convention vibes where everyone's trying to one up each other and like, Who's the loudest booth? And like, how many roses did you glue onto your wall? That's another Borderlands <laughs> 3 reference. Um, that kind of thing. So like, there's de- you definitely see, I guess, the money. Mm. Like, you see yeah. it visually represented in that tangible way. And we're, it's not as over the top as it used to be. Um, like, one year at E3, I remember there was, I don't even remember what the game was. Like, that's how bad it is. But there was just a ball pit. And like, uh, like a like a woman running around in the ball pit, and then like who was part of the booth, and then there would be people who would come into that ball pit like with her. It's just it's both weird and just completely unnecessary, as opposed to now where 
people are at least taking like like the roses borderlands three thing is from their cover art so at least it feels like this is like okay, a, a wall at e3 like a wall of roses that was pumping out rose scent at the borderlands yeah booth. that booth was cool really, to take pictures in front of it was really striking yeah you know it was one of the newer. yeah exactly so it it feels a little bit more tied to like, oh, you took the box art and you blew up that concept into a booth. And that's really cool. Like we have a booth or, you know, most years we have a booth and we dress it up, we design it with things that feel like it's representative of us. And so it can be fun. Like uh, it's like a parade where everyone has their own float. And that's kind of like the the nice positive way of thinking about it, especially these years where it's a little less like obnoxiously over the top. Yeah, well said. Um, we should move on to our next topic, but I just wanted to hear what's your two minute death stranding theory. Oh, my two minute theory. Okay. So we know more about death stranding now and like every, this is not going to be two minutes. Sorry. Um, (laughs) every, every, uh, like snapshot that we get into it. If you focus on just that trailer, you're kind of like, what the hell is happening here? But if you piece all the trailers together, we now basically know there are two worlds. One is the alive world and one's the dead world. Mm. And there's a character named Hartman. He can transition between those two worlds because he dies every 21 minutes. And he always says that when he goes and dies for 21 minutes, he's searching for his family. And then rec- this was like revealed at Comic-Con. And then um, recently for Gamescom, uh, Mama, that character, like we dove into her a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And it's clear that she has a baby in the dead world side. And that's why she's still so connected to it. And like that dead baby is a BT, which is any of the other shadow figures. And my guess is like, there are these dead world people reaching out, trying to connect with the alive world people. And maybe they're not realizing that it's actually this like detrimental thing where you could die by coming into contact with them because they're on the dead world. They're on the other side. So maybe you get like sucked into this, sucked into the other side or sucked into a black hole and non-existence, whatever it is, like there's an interaction between those two worlds. Um, but you're there using terms like it's clear it. and it's obvious <laughs> and all these things like you got it all figured out. Yeah. But everything yeah, you just yeah. said was just like, what? <laughs> but we do know more. There are two worlds. Yeah, I got that. Maybe, yeah. maybe Norman Reedus is in limbo world, but I think he's just like, like imagine it like as earth and hell. And there are like, there are connections seeping through from hell into earth. Yeah, basically, you know, I think that they I don't know if it's deliberate or, you know, or not, if it's just Kojima being Kojima, but the way that they've sort of piecemealed out that game and shown it off, like, I don't actually think the game's concept is like that high concept Mm -hmm. or crazy at all. It's like Norman Reedus, you know, going on a foot trek from the East Coast to the West Coast and, you know, delivering these packages. And, you know, he's he's activating these nodes Mm -hmm. along the way to sort of reactivate communication across the United States yeah. and there's this been some apocalyptic event in the past that is now causing this paranormal stuff. So, you know, it's, it's like, there's video games that are way more complicated and mm-hmm. complex yeah. than that. But the way that we're getting these like seven minute trailers that are just in media res and like, we don't really know what's going on or who these people are like, um, uh, you know, again, I don't know if it's a good thing or bad thing. It's certainly increased the game's hype level and it's mm-hmm. become a meme like death stranding. What is yeah. it? It's so crazy. And like, I think it's going to come out and it's going to be a video game that you can play. Like it's going to have an opening and controls and mm-hmm. enemies and menus. And like, once it's an actual thing that people can hold in their hand, I think, um, I don't know. I, I'm curious to see how that sort of changes. Um, it, it's put on this like mythical pedestal. Right. And like, once it's a real video game that can be compared to other real video games, I'm, I'm just so curious about 
about how how it's going to stack up. I think people really focus in on like the the outlandish elements, like mm -hmm. the goopy monsters and the little machines that blink and whatever. Yeah. But I, I want most of the gameplay to just be walking with a package. Like I genuinely want that. I think it'd be with Mario sixty four sounds. With Mario sixty four <laughs> sounds. No, I the moment that I was so into that game was I think like two <laughs> reveals ago or a reveal ago, not the Gamescom one. When uh, Nor like the little bit of combat that we saw, where Norman Reedus was like running away from like Agreed. human human goons, yeah, and he hit one with his like little briefcase, really and I cool. was like, yeah. "That's it. That's sold. To, uh, that's sold the game for me." Yeah, I think what I'm trying to articulate is like when Death well, Stranding. Actually, that's uh, sorry, when Death Stranding goes from like crazy, oh, Death Stranding, crazy mm -hmm. memes to like actual game. That's either going to really benefit the game, or it's going to sort of take away that mystique yeah. and like you know detract from the game. And you know, we're almost there. Like, I can't wait to see which direction it goes. Sorry, Tina. No, no problem. I was going to say um, that's actually a perfect segue because Alex on our um, Facebook page mentioned, like, will it have more gameplay than just walking around with ladders? Like, do we think it's going to be deeper than that? I mean, we've already seen the urination mechanics. So. <laughs> well, and Matt's saying that? he doesn't want it to be anymore. And that I can totally see that that kind of, like, if there's a vibe and there's some mechanics that make it fun to do that, like, I don't mind that yeah. being what you do in the game. But there clearly is some sort of combat. I think there's a, a stealth element because when the, all those... Uh, ghost things appeared. There was those like scenes where you have to like walk carefully. You have to hold your breath. Hold your breath. Yeah. yeah. So like, and we know Hideo Kojima like invented tactical stealth action. Mm. What you guys can't see is that uh, you can only see you know Tina, but to the side of her is this wall that's just covered in uh, Death Stranding <laughs> things with uh, push push pins and a string tied between. A big Pepe Sylvia board. That's <laughs> um, why I'm being really still so that they don't come attack me. We most game developers, um, you know, in all their trailers and all their pre-release marketing, make that game seem as big and expansive as possible, and um, you know, want to show you basically everything that they can get away with without you know people being upset about spoilers. And Kojima is one of the few developers where we saw a lot about Metal Gear Solid Five, but there was so much in that game that was never shown off. Like you know, just huge portions of this game, from like gameplay systems to characters to story beats to locations that were never, ever shown off pre-release. So Death Stranding, um, but on the other hand, that game was developed really quickly. Like, they yeah, didn't have a lot of time to make it. So it's like, maybe this is it. Like, this is the entire game, or maybe, you know, we actually do, you know, his comfort level with explaining very little and showing very little pre-release is much higher than most companies. Yeah, so. my question is, what happened to Mads? I feel like I've only seen him in, like, one promotional oh, yeah, tour, right. and then oh. he just, like, this, yeah. like I, I mean, I have a feeling he's in that game for, like, 18 minutes, yeah. right? okay. Like, like Jeff Keighley style. Yeah, maybe. Like maybe just one of the, the people that appear in it. He felt like such bunker. a big deal, but I just realized yeah. like I haven't seen him in months. I think all those characters are in that game for like one sequence. Mm. I hope there's some surprises for that too. Yeah. Well, he said there's going to be like dozens of cameos, so okay. probably one of those. Cool. So are, are we good to move on, Tina? Or is that it for the questions from yeah, Facebook? Yeah. Cool. All right. Mm -hmm. Next, uh, so I put together a segment called Say Something Nice, and this week we're going to uh, try this out. It's going to be Say Something Nice about uh, brick-and-mortar game stores, and that's because uh, GameStop uh, has been experiencing a lot of uh, negative, uh, bad news. They had turbulence. layoffs and, uh, yeah, some turbulence uh, and stuff like that, uh, and also uh, I've been, like, totally, like, down on GameStop in my life. It, it's a crappy experience to go there and buy games sometimes. Uh, and also sometimes they've paid me very little for my trade-in. So I totally get it. There are a lot of people are down on games at GameStop right now, but I saw Justin was tweeting about like why we kind of need GameStop and why we need brick-and-mortar game stores. We don't need to focus on GameStop. So we're all just going to uh, – I thought we could all say something nice about uh, old-timey walk into a store and buy video game stores. 
Justin, take it away. Yeah, I mean, my experience, and I think this is pretty common, one of my very first jobs, the second job I ever had was at a video game store, video games, et cetera, in, um, in Iowa, which is, you know. What was the et cetera? <laughs> That's a good question. I think it was just video Beds games. and baths? Um, <laughs> bed, bed, bath and beyond. <laughs> and I actually got uh, fired from that job, <laughs> which it, it wasn't a dramatic thing, but I, uh, I had another job as a bartender, so I could never close the game store, and so I didn't really work out for them. Yeah. I had to leave yeah. and go to the other job. But, um uh now i'm completely derailed no that's I mean, why you like game stores <laughs> i think i think local video game stores are hugely important particularly with gamestop there are 5,800 GameStops all around the country and so sam as you mentioned they sort of treat people poorly and you know made some decisions or didn't seem to adjust quickly enough to this digital future so the sentiment amongst gamers and i'm generalizing here but like broadly speaking seems to be like you know good riddance right but i think that's really scary like if GameStop's not around anymore, video games will not be in many malls, period. Like, they, they just won't have a presence in this area where millions of people still go. Um, and if you a, don't have good internet, then you just can't get a game. Well, you, you just can't buy it from it. Amazon. but um, Yeah, you can get it delivered to you. But, uh, the earth. It, you know, it's just it's bad for the health of the industry if there's that many fewer people wholesaling and selling games and that many fewer options for buying video games. And so do they deserve their fate, you, you know? I don't know. Like, I, I'm not an analyst, but I definitely think that uh, the celebration of, of you know, their downfall is um, a little off the mark and a little unseemly to me. Like, I think GameStop plays a hugely important role in just, like, raising consciousness of video games in America. Uh, yeah, no, I, okay, I'll have... You I can't have, say anything nice, then we're going to move on. I have, no, I have a nice <laughs> thing to say about, like, mom and pop stores, and I have a nice yeah. thing to say about GameStop, uh, yeah. GameStop. so two, uh, two separate things, you know, and, like, it should be noted that as much you know, trouble as GameStop is having, like the actual privately owned, family owned stores are having an even worse time, mm -hmm. uh, you know. And so we just have something to think about like that. But no, they're great. Like I think, I think that like whole like idea of going to a local game store and the, and the people there like are passionate about games and they want people to experience them is like totally true. You know, when I. Uh, visited my grandparents they live in Colorado and they used to own a, a laundromat and there was literally a, pre uh, a mom and pop game store next door and so whenever I got bored with hanging out at the laundromat I would just walk over next door and they would just let me play the PlayStation demo unit like all day uh, and like and that's just and they were just so cool about that's it and really like cool, that's yeah. like a like a like a memory that I hold dear and as for like GameStop you know, here's the thing. Sometimes, you know, if you want to, like, min-max your, your returns on game sales, there's eBay and stuff like that, right? But sometimes you're in an emergency. Like me, I had to go to my mom's place uh, last summer, uh, or I guess this summer, uh, to help her move. And she just, like, gave me a box of my old games. And, like, I could not bring that with me to San Francisco. So I just, like, drove to my nearest GameStop, traded it all in, got, like, $200 maybe, like 180 And I put that towards getting a PlayStation 4 Pro. You know, for sure. Like there's uh, it, it's it's uh, it's one of the only places left. And again, there's over 5000 of them where you can quickly turn physical games yeah. back, you know, quickly, safely, you know, efficiently turn games back into cash. And yeah. um, that's such a benefit for physical games. Um, you know, you own it. You yeah. own the disc. It's your property that then, you know, you can liquidate if you want to or need to, which you can't do with digital games. They both cost 60 bucks. But um, the digital games. Uh, you have a lot less freedom what you do with it. And um, a big part of that freedom with physical games goes away when there's not an easy way to drive up the street and mm. convert it into money anymore without, you know, without growing through the rigmarole of doing it. I used to spend whole summers just like bouncing 
you yeah. know, one $60 game to, you know, the next, the next, the next, like you pay like, you know, $5 or $15 yeah. each time mm-hmm. you get a new game. And it's so much easier to play all the, like the big games that yeah. summer. I love doing that. And sometimes I just don't want to wait two days for Amazon prime free shipping. You know, sometimes I could just drive to a store and yeah. pick it up. You I'm, know? I'm being a little hypocritical because I haven't been in a GameStop in a decade and <laughs> I haven't. And I, and I actually do, even though I, 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 there's a lot that bothers me about digital game stores. That's also exclusively how I'm purchasing my own games mm-hmm. anymore. But, that's more about like my lifestyle as a dad and what I need to do right now more so than um than you know I want there to still be options to buy physical get discs for sure my uh, take on this and you guys have are taken a lot of the points I was going to make so I, I was going to say I love bargain games I love shitty games I think they're so funny and like I always loved going to GameStop and just like seeing that sea of games that are five dollars and under mm-hmm. especially in the like when they used to have Super Nintendo games and stuff which I hope are coming back as they say they are um, but uh, I really like like right now if you go and look at like like those kind of cutout bins and stuff it's so fun to dig through those and they're great and those are the rare games of the future mm-hmm. yeah. so um yeah my, so my take is um Matt you touched on one of mine so I'll just start with that one like um just the fact that you can like buy games on the fly is just such a good feeling like just being able to uh have like a moment where you're hanging out with a friend like you've never played like so-and-so <laughs> game and you go and like hang hang out with them like that becomes part of the like hangout session or like I often do this with my brothers because I just get so excited to recommend things to them um and actually I was just interviewing the VP of product at Google um for about Stadia and he mentioned that you mentioned something that's interesting that I didn't think about necessarily with Stadia, which is like, if you want to play a game, you literally just press a button and you start playing it. Whereas these days, like, especially with the incredible download sizes that we have, like I basically have to plug in a code in the morning. And then by the time I come home from work, it's ready to go. And that's like the cadence that I have to remember to do. And if I, if I forget, um, I guess you can like remote, you know, input these things and hopefully your PS4 is on rest mode or whatever, but um, it is then a nice feeling of just being able to go pick it up and an hour later, you're like ready back at home to play. Um, but the other two experiences I have with brick and mortar stores is one, um, I always really like like going and browsing and like uh, I saw other, I would see other people browsing and looking at games too. And like, kind of like, you know, asking around, like asking their friends or whatever, like looking at the box and being like, oh, I don't know if this game is good. And I just kind of like pipe up and be like, oh, well, you know, that that game is really interesting, like vehicular combat. So like, I would recommend it based on that. And people just be like, so <laughs> shocked that I had anything to say that I knew about what the games were. And it was always a little bit of a gratifying feeling. Um, but the other thing is in New York in particular, there are uh, mom and pop stores that are known for breaking street dates. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And like that became so much a part of our news cycle uh, when I was working at Kotaku. Like we would get so much information based off of these games being out in the wild 24 hours, sometimes weeks before so they were supposed to actually be sold. So it was very much a part of like my career, I guess. And I'll always remember th- them for that experience. That's really cool. Uh, which brings us to video game 20 questions, right? You got one for us? I do. Oh, my. I'm very right. excited. Cool. So this this week's recommendation comes to you from Tina Mini because I do not have access to <laughs> our uh, email inbox that would otherwise let me take from our readers. Mm. But this might be the take first, it away. It might be the first staff chosen one. Mm. I think Damon always chose them a until while. a certain point. Uh, and, then and then started, yeah, yeah, and just lied about it. Said it was from fans. <laughs> and yeah, we switched over to fans because it was a fun participation thing. But we have no way to do that right now. Right. Um. All right. Was this game from uh, before the year two thousand? No. Uh, 
did this game release on a on a PlayStation uh, home console? Yes. Uh, was this is this game a part of this gen? This PS4, Xbox One gen? Mm, can you be more specific with your question? Well, if it was on a PlayStation console, <laughs> what, is it on the PS4? Is it on the PS4? Yeah. No. Oh. Is it on the PS3? <laughs> is that a question? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay. Is it on the Wii U? Ooh. No. Because oh. that crossover is really small. Yeah. Okay. So PS3 game. Um, was this game developed in Japan? No. Okay. Um, was this game developed in the United States? Yes. How many questions? Are oh, there? yeah. Are you keeping track of questions? Yeah, you're at seven. Okay. <laughs> That's a lot, actually. We, we're fine. We know it's, it's actually pretty good. A US-made PS3 game. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> oh. Well, but it's on other consoles, I'm sure. Yeah, maybe. Um, it's good to know we that could ask. Yeah. Is it on other consoles that's not a PS3? Yes. Oh. Um. Is the, uh was this game received well? Did it get scores above you know higher scores than average? Critically acclaimed. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I wish we knew more about because it could be like Call of Duty, like you know, it could yeah. be like is this game? Uh, we should get into genres. Yeah, it's like genres are a little bit of a trap. Yeah. Oh. Um, Wait, what's higher than average score to you? Oh, I, you know, like people like when a game right? comes out that gets bad scores, we, we know what that means. Yeah. I mean, it, it's like, you know, okay. yeah. So the opposite of like, good being bad. So, like okay, you would, so somebody was recommending this game to other people and, you know, okay. in the office, a bunch of people would have played it. Um, okay. Just stick with me. Is this, yeah. is this game a part of a franchise? No, that's 10. Ooh. Oh, it's a standalone. Ooh. Standalone US made <laughs> cross platform game. Man. Um, wow, I'm really glad I asked that. Yeah, that's a good one. Except for now, it's like, <laughs> can you choose your character? No. So maybe like kind of a story-driven. Dude, I'm having a hard time. Um, do you do you uh, do you uh, shoot a, shoot a gun in this game? Yes. Oh, nice. Okay, it's not Shadow of the Colossus. <laughs> no, it, the, it's, it's not even Japan Smith, too. Though. Shadow of the Colossus. Is, uh, is it whatever. first person? <laughs> no. Well, I'm sorry. Well, it's not first person, oh. but you shoot a gun. But you shoot a gun. It's not part of a series. Would you? Is this a sci-fi game? No. No. Oh. I was thinking Uncharted, but Uncharted is very much a series. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> third person shooter. Little series of the series. Not part of a series. Last of Us. I mean, I don't know if you count that as. I didn't ask series. I asked franchise, yeah. and so that's a little bit gives you a little yeah. bit of wiggle room there. But Last of Us would probably still count. Well, no, um, but it's on other systems. That's a good point. It did get ported up, didn't it? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, okay. I don't even really... I mean, I, I'd i like to know developer. Like, okay, there was like Prototype 1 and 2, that gen. Yeah. There was uh, there was Infamous 1 and 2, but those all got sequels. Mm. Is the developer still making games today? No. <gasps> oh, HQ, maybe it's Saints Row. Yeah, but that was also their like several of them. a big series, though. Like, Saints Row is a huge series franchise. Yeah, that's wow. Funny. So wait, somebody made a one-off PS3 game where it's third person, and this you better not be destroy all humans again. <laughs> and you and you shoot. <laughs> Was guns. that one recently? Yeah, not really recently. Yeah. The developer is not in business anymore. Oh, it's so weird. Um, is this an open-world game? Uh, yes. What? You have four more questions. Mm, well, we can get this. <laughs> is it um, open-world shooty 
U.S. developed PS3 Xbox 360 game, not part of a series. I'm just thinking about what prototype. Prototype had two games. That's what I mean. I, that's where my head's at too. But the developer's not around anymore. Dead space but, was well, but it was somebody. So they made a pretty good game. Like we don't know that it was like game of the year or anything. Yeah. But like they made a game that was well received. But now they're gone. Now they're not around. Listen, who's, who's shut down? We're at a big disadvantage because Tina can't hear us deliberating as well. Probably oh, so she yeah. we can't use the hack. Which did we mention this game already? Because she probably didn't hear us mention no, the I, game already. I hear you guys I, deliberating. Okay. I don't think we've mentioned any games that even meet the criteria yet. I mean, the if only I'm being honest, only yeah. big studio that I think that shut down that. Of was of that time is like visceral. Oh wait, wait. There was a there was a uh, the team that made uh, Mafia Three. Are they still uh, Hangar? Not, hang, not hang, Mafia Two. Not I know Hangar Thirteen still around. Oh, what about Bionic Commando? <laughs> was that was part of a series? Yeah. Um, Damn it! <laughs> I, I feel like that's the best clue we have is that the the company's no longer in business. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's let's. Uh, did this have multiplayer? No. It's not first person? Huh. Not multiplayer. You guys got two questions and a guess. Single player, third person open game world where you shoot guns. Open world. Mm-hmm. It's so weird. Can't choose your character. Oh. Well, I don't know. If we say could it be a licensed game? It could. I don't I don't I don't know. Would that, would that be based on a series? I would say that's part of a franchise. In most instances. See, this is where Damon would give us a clue, but Tina's knocking it. No. <laughs> I'm being, I'm trying to be really careful about not giving you a clue or not being like, yes, yeah. but, or like, mm-hmm. no, well. It's fine. We're not owed a clue. Yeah. Because he doesn't do that. We're not owed a clue. This is Justin. Um, <laughs> I like it. Um, I don't know. I Clues keep... are for clo- closers. Yes, yeah. exactly. I would like to know if it was like THQ or, you know, like. Who's, who's I mean, I guess they're technically. What if around? the publisher is still around? That's a completely yeah. different company. I don't know how to fix this one. Mm. Um, what well, about. You guys, have you guys. Do you feel like you've narrowed down genre? No. No. Not at all. I mean, uh, the first thing I would ask if it, 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 if it was an action game, and that doesn't help at all, but open world really helps. Like, open world should get it for us, but it's not sci fi. So I feel like it's like a Grand Theft Auto clone. If it was a fantasy game, then that would be interesting, but that's not common in the United States. Development. Also, I don't think there are shooting guns in fantasy games. R- well, we could ask if it's an RPG. Uh, yeah, but they don't have guns. Like, you know, Fable does, but that Aspects. obviously doesn't meet the criteria. Yeah. There's a... I don't know what to do. Like a flintlock or something in Fable 3, but... Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I, is this an RPG? <laughs> is that your question? Yeah. No. Okay. Did was this game one with, question and a guess? Was this game associated with THQ? No. Oh, all right. Um, okay. U.S. developer, no longer around. Open world, shooting elements, not sci-fi. Third person. Third person. Or not, top down or something. Not an RPG. Not an RPG. Yeah, top down's in. Oh, we should have asked if it's you, an indie game. Yeah, it could have um, been like you know. You're right. Top down, like Hotline name. You got a sequel, yeah, but like yeah. it could be. Well, it's open Do world, you guys want a hint? Yeah. Yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> You're not, it's not going to help you. Yeah. But yeah. you didn't mention the game, but you did mention a game that the developer is associated with. What do we talk about? We talk about Prototype, Dead Space. I'm still circling around like the Mafia games and games like that. Mafia. Like, but I don't. I don't have it. What's the Saints Row developer? 
Volition. Yeah, Volition. Oh, didn't they? They made that like spin-off. Superhero one. Yeah. Yeah, but that wasn't on PS3, Xbox, or 60. I think that was Xbox One, PS4. Oh, yeah. Maybe you're right. Yeah. Was it Agents of Mayhem? But yeah, Agents of Mayhem. That's the one. Mm. Also, I don't think that was very like well received. Critically yeah. received. Yeah, so it wouldn't be them. It would be... I don't even know. Uh, There's no multiplayer, so it can't be something like Evolve. Mm. Is it? I think we have to give this one up. Hold on. Um... Yeah, I got nothing. Do you, I'm trying to think. Um, no, it's fine. Let's have another hint. You can reveal this one, Tina. We we lose the game yeah. often. We lost. It's fine. It's the saboteur. Oh. Pandemic Studios. Yeah. What, did, what did Pandemic so do you, that we mentioned? Destroy all humans. Yeah. So they, they yeah. were, as a developer. That's so frustrating. <laughs> as a developer, they were associated with THQ, but this game wasn't because it was published by EA. Oh, my gosh. In 2009. We were so close. And then you got also got, the, I yeah. can't believe how close we got. Kind of, you were like dancing cool. around it. Yeah. yeah. And I, I feel bad about the like, was it developed in the US? Because it was, but it, they're also, um, they're also an Australian developer. So I was like, technically. And it's got a French name. So it's a little weird. Yeah. It's Yeah. We okay. have like Art of the Saboteur up game. in the office. I see it all the time. The game Damn. is good. No, no I'm sad. That yeah. So would you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, seriously, that was their swan song too, and I really enjoyed that game. I had like a really cool um, black and white mechanic where you're going through mm-hmm. like Nazi-occupied Paris mm-hmm. and kind of liberating through the resistance, like liberating areas um, as you kind of like sneak and stealth around. And there's a lot of shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, there's brawling though. There's that kind of combat. Uh, there's driving around in the open world. You guys were around there. Yeah, we we almost got it. But that doesn't mean anything because we didn't get it and we yeah. freaking failed. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, so that's yes. all the scoops. We, yeah, good work, Dia. I guess like, uh, Damon doesn't gloat when he wins. <laughs> I don't I know if he's actually winning. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for bringing that 20 questions uh, uh, question for us. And uh, thanks to everybody that sent questions on the Facebook group. Again, uh, we will see what we can do about getting into the inbox. And so you can continue to send things to gamescoop at IGN.com. Uh, that's all the scoops we have. Thank you so much, Tina. Thank you so much, Justin. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Matt. Safe travels, Tina. And we're out. Thank you. Bye.